Society teaches us that having feelings and crying is bad and wrong. Well, that's baloney because grief isn't wrong. There is such a thing as good grief. Let's ask Charlie Brown. You landed on The Substance, a podcast aimed at being biblical, thoughtful, and human. Join us here every other week as we engage the culture without the culture war. I'm your host, Philip Marinello, uh, hoping everybody's ears off to a nice start here. If you are new to the show, we are a variety podcast where every other week we invite somebody who is thoughtful, interesting, talented, working in a field that has value, and we talk about something related to faith, culture, and the arts. Uh, previous guests include folks like John Harris from the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast, author Daniel Hill, Esau McCulley, Jamar Tisby, and artist, activist, multi-hyphenated uh, individual propaganda. So we got about 140-some episodes. If you're new to the show, got a lot of good content um, spanning a whole lot of different topics, cover movies, books, interviews. Back when we had many hosts, we did topic toss-ups, which, which I have been talking to Trevor about the potential of coming back to do another topic toss-up. I've had a few different people reached out and ask about it, and I myself, I'm like, man, I'd love to do a topic toss-up again. So maybe editor Dave can jump on the mic, or we'll get Trevor back. We'll see. But there is there is talks about more topic toss-ups because I do miss that format. But anyway, we are glad you're here. If the substance is something you've been listening to for a long time and you like it, or if you're just feeling uh, generous and preemptively you want to do it, be sure to hit that five-star button on iTunes or Spotify. If it's something you've listened to for a long time and appreciate, write a sentence or two. It helps people find the show. And uh, we appreciate you. This week, I'm joined by Tara McDaniel. Tara is a spiritual director and writer who currently uh, is living out of Austin, Texas. Um, her book, Hopeful Lament, uh, recently from IVP. This is a topic we've been circling for a while. We've talked about it with several of our guests. I think all the guests that I mentioned uh, previously that we've had on uh, grief and lament um, these have been things that we've talked about as part of other conversations, but we've been wanting to do an episode directly on this for a while. So when I saw that her book was coming out and actually shout out to, uh, listener, uh, summer Rottinger, Rottinger. I don't know if I've, Hmm. Either one. Anyway, Summer uh, mentioned that this was a great book and put it on my radar. So shout out to Summer. Uh, really enjoyed this book. Uh, I think I even told her in the episode, I don't always do this, but it was only about 150 pages. So I read the whole thing before I spoke with her and it was wonderful. So I know we've all been through a lot in our whole lives, but especially 2020 on has been, has just brought a lot of hardships and grief in a number of different areas. And I think culturally, a lot of us are just not primed and given the tools from a young age to handle our grief and a lot of our communities that we grew up in. And sometimes even our communities now, we don't have regular communal um, processes and practices of lament. So it's just, it's something that I think a lot of us are, are growing in. So um, was excited to have this conversation. Hope it is encouraging and edifying to you all. 
And without further ado, here is my conversation with Tara McDaniel on Hopeful Lament. Tara, welcome to The Substance. Thanks for having me. So happy to get you on with us. Grief is something like grief and lament is something that we have been circling. We've been, definitely been engaging with it, but we've been circling like, let's do a full episode just on yeah. grief and even like grief practices. Cause we've realized and having conversations with several people because of a number of different topics or books or things come up. We're like, man, grief is something we're not terribly well equipped as a current culture to really deal with. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. There's, so, there's a huge gap. Yeah. So tell me, and I, I've read the book, I highly recommend. It's a little over 150 pages, really accessible, good stuff. But tell me how, how, how your journey with being interested in grief and lament, uh, as well as helping through it, as well as helping people through it. But how, how did your relationship with grief and lament uh, start? Yeah, I, 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 one of the first things I, I write in the inter introduction is that I, I did not wake up one day and say, wow, I, I just want to write about lament and grief. Uh, it's not how it happened for me. I, it's not how it happens for most people. Uh, I came to it because I came through a series of losses and upheavals and realized as, uh, as a long-term pastor, long-term Bible teacher. And I realized all, all of the things, all of the truisms, all of the uh, Bible verses that I had at hand, all of the things that I thought were so clear and simple and straightforward were not. And I needed more than an encouraging word, more than trust God, it's going to be fine. You know, look on the bright side, uh, you know, pause a minute and, and it'll be all okay. I, I learned the hard way that that in the face of real suffering, those things fall flat, they're incomplete. And so I came, I came to lament that way. <laughs> yeah, no, it's something that... I guess looking back at your book details some very helpful things in trying to bring them into the modern context. But yeah, when you look at other cultures and in past periods of time, like grief was something that there was communal education on. Absolutely. And that's not really something we have right now. Mm -hmm. There was communal education. And even more than that, there was just communal like knowledge. Yeah, like participation, it, it, like, like, it like was communal just norms, it was, like practices. That's exactly right. It was just happening around you. So when someone died, there, there would be a wake, there would be a gathering, there would be steps that everyone kind of knew, and the young ones would be brought along like, here's what you do. Here's how you say goodbye to someone. Here's how do you hear how here's how you honor their life here's how you grieve well and not just not just the loss of people but uh, practices around you know bigger kind of uh, just complex kinds of losses uh, when something when a dream dies when uh, something you want to have happen doesn't happen when you're saying you know what is going on in the world there there were these norms and practices that everyone knew Here's how you here's how you give embodied voice to grief and to pain. So before we get into the book, one of the things that I always like to ask authors, I don't know if you've talked about this on any of your previous interviews, but tell me about your dedication. You've I love a good book dedication and yours is <laughs> yours is healthy. Tell me about what went into that. Yeah, yeah. I also love a good book dedication and and I maybe stretched the word limit. Oh, I, like it. I like it. And, and I feel okay about that. I, I spoke first 
to my twin grandchildren. They're toddlers right now, and they're incredible and wonderful and delightful. And I spoke to them in hopes that that they will receive this story, you know, as they grow up, and that they will receive permission to to experience and express the full you know, the fullness of life will include joy, which will include delight, which will include wonder, and which will include loss, you know, in their future, that they'll have permission to, to express the fullness of that. I speak to my godchildren who are people of color, who I want, who I didn't realize that until the end of the book. And then when I went back, I was like, Oh, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, who I want them to, to inherit, you know, permission to, 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 to be who they are, permission, permission to, to be free in the world. Um, I speak to people who have experienced, you know, that, 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 that I hope these words will be a homecoming and permission, you know, permission to, to feel how they feel for as long as they need to, uh, without apology, uh, without needing to, uh, without isolation, um, and, and without needing to kind of clean themselves up for the world. Um, and, and I think last, um, I, I may be forgetting a step here, so forgive me if so. No, yeah, there's uh, only one more, yeah. Okay, okay, then I, I, then I got it. So, and the last one is the most tender to speak about. I talk about my, uh, grandson who, uh, was lost, who my daughter lost, um, in, in a really, um, difficult miscarriage. Um, and, uh, and I speak to, you know, I look forward to meeting you, which I believe I will. And uh, trusting that he knows the, the things I'm talking about far better than I can. And I'm glad he's part of, you know, that idea of cloud of witnesses has become precious mm-hmm. to me over the years. And so the idea of that, that this child who we haven't gotten to meet yet, that he's part of our cloud of witnesses. And I think this is how it works. Yours too. You know, I think that's really precious. So that's, that's kind of what went into the dedication. No, I, I love that. That's uh, that's beautiful. And no, I y- you like a, a poetic and succinct dedication sometimes. That's really like sweet. But mm-hmm. I opened up. I was like, all right. Like when I <laughs> if I ever write a book, no, I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna use that real estate well. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All in. All in. <laughs> so before we get directly into the material, I'd love to ask you a question about your background, and not even primarily through the lens of grief or lament or. Um, theology of dealing with hardship, but just your personal, uh, what theological tradition did you inherit? Where do you come from? You talk a little bit about that in the book, but what's, what was your spiritual and religious upbringing and journey? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I grew up in the Texas Piney Woods, Northeast Texas. Um, and, and that is an area that is, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, Grace and Frankie, but there's one sure. episode late, late in the series where uh, Coyote meets his birth mother, and she shows up to this this Jewish family to have brunch and says, "What kind of Christian are y'all?" That that <laughs> exactly, and I laughed out loud because that's kind of where I that's that's the the atmosphere I grew up <laughs> in. Um, you know, it is what what kind are you? And and there were all kinds of denominations, and so. I grew up primarily uh, as a Southern Baptist, um, and my dad's side of the family were United Methodists. And uh, there was a pretty, pretty wide swath between, you know, who was right and wrong there. So, so I grew up with religion. I grew up with uh, 
heavy emphasis on the Bible, for which I'm thankful for. I, you know that that uh, the Southern Baptist taught me to, to love the Bible. I'm grateful to study it. I'm grateful for that. And they taught me kindness, you know, just the the value of being nice in the truest, not not the saccharine sense. Um, and, and, and I so value that. And 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 since childhood, I've kind of been a traveler and, and I and I feel grateful for that as well. I've I've been a part of Bible churches, if, if you're familiar with that, sure. that uh, when secret sensitive kind of came on the scene in the 90s. Man, I was all about that. Uh, I've been a church planter uh, through, um, you know, some more conservative tribes and, you know, sort of sort of in adulthood, I've moved into and have really been captivated by more liturgical, more contemplative kind of worship. So kind of Anglican, Episcopal, uh, Quaker kind of spaces really have spoken to me uh, as I've moved into adulthood. But 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 th- that that's kind of some of the journey. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, no, I, I grew up somewhere in between. Yeah, Baptist and Bible Church is just like the independent, yep. non-denominational, very heavy Bible. I didn't think it was heavy tradition until I kind of grew some. And I'm like, they definitely have their own traditions. Absolutely. It's not a global historical tradition sense, yes. but it definitely has its own traditions. But yeah, no, I'm, and I, I'm still in that sort of church now, but in a much healthier one than I was before 2020. Oh, I'm glad. Um, <laughs> Good. But I'm, I'm flirting with the similar thing. I really enjoy liturgy and ivp as well we've had dr mccauley we've had dr alvarez and we just had on at the end of the year had on um uh, dr mcgowan emily for christmas which i love those little books um it's just such a joy it's so like refreshing and like just recharging to kind of come to some of these things fresh yes um, it is. so yeah no i'm very interested in that sort of thing and i, I know a lot of our audiences responded to that as well Absolutely, absolutely. The 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 kind of liturgical year of you know telling and retelling the story and going deeper in it every time and letting it, you know, as the circumstances of our lives are always different. No matter you know as the years go on, the stories meet us differently, um, and so I I have found that to be really life giving um, holistically and, and in my family as well. Yeah. So I don't want to talk about this in the wrong way, but I think it would be foolish to totally ignore it. I mm-hmm. hear a lot of people talking about it and very kind of doom and gloom and maybe focus on it too much, but I think it would be unwise to ignore like the moment we are in, especially the last three to seven years, like the time of difficulty and grief and kind of stacked traumas and especially post 2020 with COVID people's actual physical health and a lot of deaths that many weren't able to mourn with because of restrictions and travel issues and stuff like that. And then just the relational fallout of the, it's maybe not especially divided because people have always been divided. I don't want to be too myopic and self-centered, but the, the particular way that technology and media and social media kind of has capitalized on divisiveness as a a commodity a lot of us are reeling from relationships that have been 
harmed or damaged or destroyed. Like it has been a unique time for <laughs> grief and trauma, I would say, especially in the West. But I mean, globally. It ha it absolutely has. And and you're exactly right. Like our time is our time is our own. And there's always been division. There's always been, you know, there's always uh, there are always things to mourn in the world. And so in that respect, our time is not new. And you know, to to just to name the reality that the first global pandemic in over a century, we're living in the fallout of that, and and we are still living with it. Like we're not. Yeah, it's not just it's health, it's economics, it's absolutely people who have owned businesses that got killed by it. It's yes. people who lost jobs by it. It's people who lost families and churches because of how prevalent disinformation is and the relational yes. discord that that sort of stuff solves. Like, I mean, we've gone through all of that to a degree, but I mean, some people have really gone through that um, yes. in, a, in, a, in a extreme way. That's right. And so, absolutely. And so there are all these layers of loss and there's also complex loss, which is, you know, which is, um, it didn't happen to me, but it happened to someone I know, or I sure. read this headline and I feel it in my gut, you know, or, you know, I mean, right now. Yeah. We're, we're seeing horrific, uh, photos and videos of the, I don't even know if it's a war. It's more like the massacre going on right now in the middle East. It's, That's it's right. awful. And yeah, it is. we either, it, it's a balance, right? Because I'm like, I don't want to be completely ignorant of it, but I also don't want to be obsessed with it. it. It's a weird thing. And we have these devices in our pockets yep. that we can go deep on something that is not a communal or like hurt. Like it used to be like, you had your your neighborhood or your, back in like your village or your city. Like you yeah. had your people and you would go through cycles of good and bad and you would all do it together. Yeah. But now there's so much bad in the world and we can access it all immediately. And we exactly. And so so what does it look like for us as individuals and in our families and in our communities to mourn appropriately, to honor the the stories of grief that are happening to us, you know, that have happened to us, that are that that have ongoing consequences, and to honor the stories of, you know, we've seen, you know, you see a headline with with another child, another hospital, another, um, you know, another hostage killed, all those things, you know, what does it look like to appropriately mourn that without being swallowed over by it, without just kind of like diving into the rabbit hole, which is not, which does not serve us or them, right? But there's yeah. a way, but there's a way to be present to it. There's a way to be honest about it. There's a way to engage it in a way that it doesn't just stay stuck inside of us and that honors the humanity all around. Yeah, no, that's uh that's challenging, especially like we said at the top, for a culture that's kind of malformed in these things. That's right. That's right. We are malformed, particularly in the West. We are very power of positive thinking, bootstrap yourself up. Neg grief is just negativity and it's self-fulfilling prophecy. You just got to look on the bright side. God needed another angel in heaven. That kind of mentality is, is so rampant. And so we're, we're, when we choose to engage grief and lament, we're coming against a headwind in that respect. I am convinced that if, you know, if we don't correct that in ourselves and 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 more broadly it will cause 
unspeakable harm and will continue to cause unspeakable harm as as I believe it has, you know, because lament is truth telling. It is, it's not, you know, just stewing in grief. It's telling the truth. It's bringing things out into the light. It's uh, trusting that God cares about, about, you know, the fullness of what happens, including the hard stuff. Um, and, it, and it's a way, I love the way trauma psychologist Resma Menicum talks about it. He talks about doing this grief work as metabolizing pain, as digesting yes. pain, which is, I, I, I've, I, I'm so floored by that and so compelled by that phrase and by that, that way of describing. No, as I read the book, which uh, I told you before, um, I, I don't often do this, but I, I read the whole thing. The The length of it definitely helped. I'm such a big fan of IVP's mm-hmm. um, sub 200 page uh, books. They put out <laughs> a lot of really great stuff that's super accessible. Because I mean, I'm reading this for the show, but like you give this to somebody who's going through something. I, I really love that you have the practices in there too. Mm-hmm. I'd like to get to that a little bit later, but I wanted to ask you, like as you uh, work with folks, and I guess even sidebar, Mm-hmm. How do I even describe it? Your what would you? What's your role when you work with folks with these things? Mm-hmm. So, so I uh, I'm a spiritual. What do you call yourself? Yeah, a director. I, okay. I, or uh, another way of talking about it is a soul companion. It has some things in common with therapy, but it's not therapy. It has some things in common with with life coaching, but it's not that. Uh, my role. So, what is, verb do you use? Do you yeah. like coach people or? Uh, I I. Uh, I often the the verb I most often use is host or listen okay. with, um, and and the, and the idea is I'm not there to teach. I'm not there to tell them what. I'm there to listen to what is stirring in their soul, good, bad, and different. Um, so so it's not all grief. It is at times. I'm, I'm there to listen to them um, and help them listen to themselves and help them to listen to what invitations are in their life, what they need more of, what they need less of, where God is in all of that. And um, that's, that's what I do as a spiritual director and um, kind of host uh, people hearing themselves. That's a very, especially for people who are maybe reticent or new to it. I feel like host is a very mm-hmm. gentle way to think it. So when you are hosting people, especially when, when it's a new thing for them, when they're maybe not sure about it, what, what have you found? What have you observed? What, what surprises people as they begin to learn about these practices and begin to engage in some of these practices? Because mm-hmm. um, like you said, a lot of us have these complex, stacked up griefs and traumas that we've been ill-equipped to deal with. So when we finally start doing these things, what do, uh, what do folks typically see when they begin? Hmm. When when people start unpacking grief, particularly if they've been living it, with it for a while and it's stacked up, like you're saying, they realize uh, they realize that grief is exhausting. That it is hard work. It takes courage to face it. Um, the alternative is to stay exhausted, sort of forever, right? Um, yeah. But 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 they find that it's that it's exhausting. They find, you know, paradoxically that it's freeing. 
you know, to name, oh my gosh, this is why I feel like I've been, you know, just sort of trudging through sludge or like why, or I've been mad at myself. Why couldn't I just get it together and get over this? You know, when they start to name the magnitude and the depths and, and, and over time, they realize, okay, there's a reason this is hard. It is hard. It is exhausting, um, but it's also hopeful and freeing. And so what I often find myself encouraging people to do is to take sips, you know, to, to, to move into lament. Don't stay in it. Um, you know, step back and, and give yourself time to recoup and, uh, and, and take it slow you know, let it happen over time. It doesn't, there doesn't have to be a big rush, you know, to just kind of slam through it, that, that, that it, that doesn't work and it's not safe for people to do so. That yeah. can be a benefit of a practice too, right? Yep. Like you, you list several practices. If somebody feels like they're going through something or they want to engage something that they've no, like I can speak to that. Like, I feel like I, I, I simultaneously have, pretty good emotional intelligence but i also know that like like i know what some of the things are but i'm like i don't know how to deal with some of this and like therapy's expensive i know everybody says go to therapy i've looked into it um i i know people that do it there's some organizations that'll help you out and it's not that i i can't afford it at all i just go man that is expensive so like yeah what do i even do with some of it but with these practices you can kind of just like exercising like your physical body you can go in start small and then like that's it for the day that's my practice yep. of xyz for the day and kind of hopefully over time you will begin to unburden some of these things i guess is the idea that's exactly right that's exactly right it's and again it goes back to that idea of metabolizing pain it's it's you know physical things or it's writing it's singing it's you know these these tangible practices of tearing or or uh you know shake, shaking a salt shaker um, you know, creating something that that are so simple, you know, that, uh, that children can and do engage them, and they can be really meaningful. But and as you say, the simplicity is the beauty of them, you don't have to go somewhere, you don't have to get a bunch of stuff, equipment that you don't, you know, already have. And it's a way to go as far as you can, with the time you have available, and with the emotion emotional bandwidth that you have available. And that's that level of processing. And you can leave it there for the day and return to it as you need to. And you can learn from the experiences and figure out, okay, I really connect with this one. This one, not so much, maybe for something, maybe, you know, another time. Um, you, you figure out what works for you. You figure out what works, um, you know, in community, because because what I love about these practices is that they are very amenable to like a small group or a book club, you know, even, even a like a slightly service. larger, like, like a family unit or like Abs a little. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I mentioned, you know, uh, that it's they're they're simple enough that children can and do engage them. Yeah, I thought that was great that you mentioned that because I'm like, I feel like in my relative, like, it's a spectrum. Like I feel like when I was growing up, I thought I was raised pretty conservative, but some people were raised like crazily conservative. <laughs> like I felt like I had a few tools, but not really like, I feel like I was given permission in space sort of to like have these things, but I wasn't taught like, Hey, when something really hard happens, 
this is what you do. I was never really taught that. Absolutely. And so if we, I I wasn't, I want to fix that for my kids. Yes, I wasn't either. Um, And, and when I encountered loss, I didn't know what to do. And so I just, you know, tried to, you know, be the, the little comic relief thinking, you know, if I could make people laugh, it would be (laughs) familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to fix that for my grandkids and their children. But this idea that we can give our children tools to process what we're what is happening to them and to all of us that that can happen in families uh, that it can and it needs to um, and that it doesn't have to be this this huge negative thing that it's actually freeing like you know hard thing everybody encounters hard things everybody encounters loss children too and so to really meet them and give them permission you know to to express it and to process it with you and to even in age appropriate ways to see you as you know see you as their parents and see other grown-ups around them like oh you know they're they're expressing their their emotions they're expressing their sadness like it's okay to do that it's not not something i have to go hide away uh or feel embarrassed about like that's a huge gift that we that we can give our kids and practically here i'd love for you to share particularly from your experience i highly recommend people check out the book or if you have um a library card that has a hoopla uh, the audiobook that i believe you read mm-hmm. is available on that through christian audio but so if folks are listening now and want something tangible what's one of the more effective ways that you've seen kids respond positively to if a listener has a child that they want to start maybe baby stepping with some good stuff what are what's maybe uh one of the top ones that you've seen that kids understand and respond well to yeah 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 so i'd say a collage practice is really fantastic for like kind of four and five up to up to me grandparents and so what's great about a collage practice is it starts with really simple tools you can have let's say you're grieving someone who has died you could have photos of the person you lost. Uh, You can have magazines to cut pictures, to cut or tear pictures and words out of. You can have paint or markers or, or colored pencils, tape and glue to kind of put it all together. And before you begin to put it together, you invite the children and you take part, if you feel able to, to tear some paper. You know, maybe it's from the magazine, maybe it's some kind of colored paper. And when they tear, you, you invite them to kind of kind of let their hard, their sad, their mad feelings get expressed in the tearing and, and, and help them give voice to emotion in that really simple but tangible way. And then you can invite them to take the torn paper and all those other components and create what they grieve, what they hope what they want to remember, whatever speaks to them, they get to create something, you know, from their grief and from their hopes. And that's something that, that a four-year-old, a five-year-old can do. The first time I started offering that was during COVID actually. And I did it over Zoom with kids from all over. Some, nice. some were local and for safety, we didn't get together and some weren't. The, the first time I offered it uh, with my dear friend, Kaisa Stenberg Lee, 
what we noticed is that it was this disparate group of kids, most of whom had never met. And over the course of, we had some conversation and most of our time together was them, you know, kind of heads, head down doing the thing. And at the end, they wanted to share with each other, like, here's what I drew, here's what it means. Um, you know, they felt, uh, they felt connected um, and they felt uh, this movement happen for them. And it was really a beautiful thing, actually. No, that's, that's beautiful. And it just seems so powerful too. Like I know my oldest is uh, five and he loves making things. And I, I think that that, I think he would respond very well to that. My, so also mm-hmm. you sent, we get sent things all the time, especially from book publishers. We just, we're starting to recently get uh, some movies sent to us, which is great. Keep that coming. Oh, studios. nice. Movie. But um, as far as book publishing sets, yours was really nice. It had, it had um, some of the um, raw materials to engage in several of these practices. And my wife saw it. She's like, what's that? Cause again, we get stuff delivered all the time and I'm like, sorry, I'll try to get rid of these books as soon as I can when I'm done with these conversations. But, yeah. um, she's like, Oh, that's cool. Like, I think I'd like to do some of that with you. So, I mean, oh, we, I'm so glad yeah, to just hear like that. everybody yeah. we've, we've endured a lot over the last few years and, um, it's, it's, it's been quite a bit. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm interested in, mm-hmm. uh, curious to see what that will all and so like I, myself i've talked about this on the show before i i try to address it directly i guess when it comes up i don't know like so my father passed away when i was in high school and like he was in my life but not full on like the full-on traditional role of the dead like he and my mom were married and he was always in the home but like he had some physical and mental challenges and just he had a hard life but he also made things hard on himself too yeah and he definitely grew up in a time where there was not a whole lot of good tools Mm -hmm. uh widely known so like just dealing with both his passing and like his actual life and the life i had in light of him like i was always like I don't not want to deal with it, but I don't know what the heck to do about some of that. Absolutely. And in reading the book, like I'm a big story guy. So like when you talked about like movies or music, I'm like, I definitely like, not that I use them as a crutch, but like I know that like I can sometimes I'll have the frame of mind and be like, Oh, like I feel like I'm processing something with this album or this film. And I feel a little bit better. I hope that was something good. I just did. (laughs) Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I love that you uh, talk about movies in your podcast and I've got had a chance to listen a little, a little bit. And I, I I have several movies I've added to, you know, already. Um, But absolutely, you know, storytelling that happens through movies, through novels, uh, through songs um, can really help us, um, even if the, even if it's not, you know, exactly parallel, it can help us surface the experience. It can, it can help us surface sure. the, the themes of loss and of grief and, and help us. And they do, they, they, they can help us, uh, begin to process. I, I think that, um, those kind of things are, 
they're not an end in themselves. They're not the they're not the sort of finished product, if you will, but they're tools and they belong um, and they're part of the process of bringing grief to life and even processing it. Uh, I, I'm convinced. Absolutely. So how have you found in, in your own personal and you, you get pretty personal on a number of different hard episodes of your life in the book? Yeah. What maybe at different stages, what are one or two practices specifically that you found for what you have been through personally found very helpful for yourself as an adult in, in this stage of your journey or at whatever stage that you, you engaged with them? Yeah. So, so one thing that I've, uh, that I've found really helpful, and I'll speak to kind of the, some of the particular practices that have evolved over time, I'll say. One thing that I, that I find really important with, with all kinds of losses is honoring the anniversary of that loss. So, um, so for me, there was a catastrophic house fire. You know, every year when that day rolls around, it was a very jarring opening to the book. I was like, "Oh man, there, we're we're getting into it." I, I, yes, my editor uh, really encouraged uh, us to dive in feet first, and so I said, "Okay, okay, <laughs> let's let's go there." Sort of put your seatbelt on. We're diving in. So, so anniver- that anniversary, and also, you know, when you've lost people. So. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I recently lost uh, a father who I had a complicated relationship with, um, and you know loved him, and he was in my life, but kind of, kind of not, not as much as I wish he would have been. Um, so I hear you on, on that. I have some close friends who lost parents as, as young people. So you know, so honoring their birthdays will stay with people who've been lost for the moment. Honoring birthdays, but also honoring the day they passed away is really important. What what psychology is and neuroscience is finding, you know, that idea of the body keeps the score, the score and that yeah. you know, memories live in us, I'm convinced and, and the neuroscience is getting there um, to, to back this idea that whether or not we acknowledge those anniversaries, they're, they're cooking inside of us. They're, they are, they are, they are getting stirred inside of us. And so to give, you know, as those anniversaries roll around, um, to, to, to pause, to honor the loss, to honor what that loss has meant for, for life ever since. And there that can that will entail grief, but also the gifts that have unfolded and the graces that have have unfolded, and it's and it's a way of stopping and and processing just a little further what was lost and what happened and who we've become, you know, as individuals, as family members, and as as community members. Um, and so, practically, what that looks like sometimes it's simply journaling. Sometimes it's taking a walk um, and listening to you know some songs that remind me of that event or the, that person. Sometimes it's it's cooking a meal you know that makes me that kind of surfaces that time in life. Um, it can be sometimes it's simply uh, lighting a candle. You know, and every time you pass the candle that day, you remember why it's lit. It's lit to hmm. you know kind of in vigil you know, um, and in memory of, so it can be really simple things. Uh, it can be more involved things, but it's acknowledging it's letting things come. Do you do life. different things. So with you, mm-hmm. do you light the candle for your dad or do you do different things, different years or. 
I think different things, different years. Um, I ha- I have a friend who um, has has you know taught me by her wisdom. Every year on her on the day her mom died, she lights a candle. That's that's something she does uh, you know every day. Others. Um, so let's talk about adoption. Adoption is this is this beautiful thing that also includes a loss, a traumatic loss. Oh my at goodness! That, yeah, right. Because there's this family of origin that you know, that can no longer be present in the same way for this child, you know, and so they got this lovely, hopefully, wonderful family that they've been welcomed into. And there's a loss. And so and so with adoption, we could stay with the candle, you could do lots of other things. But on, on an adoption day, maybe you light a candle. And maybe you also have like a cake or you go out for ice cream or pizza or something, you know, so, so that you can honor the complexity. There's, there's something to grieve. There's a loss to be grieved. And then the, and that, that doesn't negate things that can be embraced and celebrated at the same time. If that makes no, sense. That's good. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I should like, yeah, I, I want to be doing more active things to just kind of continue to grow. And like mm-hmm. active is the key word because like, yeah, I really liked in, in all the different practices. I don't know if I'm going to do all of them. I mean, I might try them all, especially with the kit you sent, but like, I would love to find things that work just yeah. to make incremental progress. Cause you don't, I can, I'm speaking for myself, like with my makeup in the way I am, like I can definitely tell sometimes when like stuff builds up and I just get like a hair trigger and I find myself snapping at my wife or my children. And I'm like, what in the world? Like that was like nothing. Yeah. Like it wasn't like a big deal. Like, totally. I was like, Oh, I should probably like deal with, <laughs> I should probably deal with some of that. <laughs> right. Where'd that come from? Exactly. And it came yeah. from somewhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It did. Okay, I'll, I'll name one more really simple accessible practice that I have been loving the more I do it, uh, the more I'm loving it. And um, it's, it's a tear jar, I call it in the book. And, yeah, you're and talking about that. Yeah, it, it has roots in several different cultures. And it's just this idea of it, it kind of springs from Psalm 56, that idea that God, you know, keeps our treasures our tears, you know, keeps a record of every single one, keeps a, a record of every time we toss and turn and stay awake at night because of worries or grief. And and this is something that that can happen over over a couple of days or or even a couple of weeks. And you just take a, a a jar of water and you have a salt shaker or a little bowl of salt and every time uh, a pang of of grief or a thought of wow, this hard thing happened. You just, and let me pause and say, this is something that I use personally. And it's also when headlines are are coming fast and furious from Gaza or elsewhere. And I just like, I'm like, what do I do with this pain of it's, it's, it's half a world away, but it exists and it's real. And I want to, I want to bring it before God and I want to honor it, you know, and, and you take the, the salt shaker, you know, every time one of those things comes up and you add more grains and by the end of the day or two or, or weeks, you know, all those grains are kind of diluted in the water and you, and, and it's a chance to recognize Every grain of salt mattered. Every grain of salt is still in there, um, 
every grain has been in some sense released from me. Um, and yet, in some mystical way, God holds it. Um, and I trust that God holds it and remembers it. And that matters. No, I'm really curious to try that one to see just kind of the act of physically externalizing something as a means of dealing with it. Because yeah. we go like, how? Oh, what are we going to do? Like, yeah, we, we all cry sometimes, but it's like, sure. what are you going to do? But like, I like the idea of journaling or building something like the collage mm -hmm. or yes. even with the jar, like you are physically manifesting something so that it isn't mm -hmm. just internalized and building up to like a toxic level. That's right. That's right. It's, it's, it's a way of kind of embodying and, and getting things moving. It's, it could be, uh, and, and I'll, and I'll say when I came across some of these kind of practices uh, in literature and in the Bible, I, I used to think of them as really performative and therefore. Sure. You mentioned that I did too, yeah, like the yeah. professional mourners, just because in the modern Western culture, mm -hmm. our like, I grew up going, I, my parents, both of them, like very purposefully, like we were committed to our, our spiritual community and our church. And like, anytime there was a wedding or a funeral or whatever, we were there to like engage in the whole course totally. of life. But I mean, I have a lot of friends who like the first funeral they went to was uh, when they were like young adults and their grandparents died. And that was the first time they've ever like had to like, engage with death yes and like our culture we've like kind of medically seclude yeah <laughs> suffering we've sealed it off we've bad it health off. and dying and then we don't know we like get anxious about it or are unprepared and just yeah not qualified to deal with our own uh, emotions or what have you when it happens when it touches our life that's right that's right Exactly so. And so, yeah, it's these little, it, it, I, I, you know, I've come to believe it's not performative at, at all. It's, you know, let, getting our bodies in the conversation that our, our minds and our emotions are already having and letting all of that be a part of, uh, of conversation with other people and with God, you know. I'm, and I'm excited to hopefully do that a lot better. Yeah. And not that my parents did, but like they weren't told either. So that's right. hopefully that's, right. that's something that we can progress in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's uh, one step at a time. And I believe it's possible. I do. Talk to me a little bit about how these practices, particularly 2016 or 2020 on, how um, the folks going through like the deep and like explicit and clear church hurt. Church hurt isn't new, right? It's like not. being harmed or abused or mistreated by religious institutions and spiritual communities that one belongs to. That's not new, but it, it has happened in a particular way and in a very like organized kind of holistic way, some yeah. in our culture. And I know a lot of folks, a lot of our listeners who've responded to previous topics when we've talked about this, this is something that a lot of people are going through. So for the folks dealing with harm or trauma that has been done and not just like some people shrug it off, go, Oh, it's no, it's not just like having problems with individuals at one's church, but being deeply betrayed like by mm -hmm. hypocrisy or directly uh, mislabeled or having falsehoods spread about you because of all these social divisions and things like that. What, 
how do these practices engage with that? Are there particular practices that are good for that? Like how would somebody who's going deeply through the, the deconstruction church hurt stage of things, what might be some encouragement or some practices for those folks? Well, I'll speak to practices. In a I say moment. us. I'm, I, yeah, I count myself. Yeah, it's yeah. not extra, like <laughs> we've, we've been through a lot in the yeah, last few years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. And, and you're not alone, as you say. Um, I, I, I'll speak to practices in a minute, but, but that's really what I wanted to underline is that if that's you, it matters. And, uh, and those who encourage you to minimize that experience, um, while they may intend to be helpful, um, uh, that they, they are off base. Um, and so to honor the reality of the, of the experience, uh, and as significant with the, with the weight that it deserves, um, is important. Um, and to, you know, for, for, for folks who are going through deconstruction or their, or their healing from a toxic or hurtful or traumatic, uh, church experience, um, it may be important for a time to step back or even step away and that that can be faithful too, and to not stay in it alone. You know, there are others who are going through these kind of things, and and they're that out is there. huge. Yeah, they're that out there to be to uh, to to hear your story. You know, to find others who can who can bear witness to your story and and reflect back. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I, I something like that has happened to me. Uh, you're not alone. That so to find those like minded others is really important, and you know, I think uh, what practices would I offer for um, for those who are are dealing with that level, um, I would probably start with, uh, start as simple as possible with your breath, um, with, um, and and you can echo, you know, here's where there's such a rich well of, um, of, of spiritual and church history that we can, we can draw from, you know, uh, we can, we can cry with the psalmist, how long, O Lord? Or you know why? Um, or where are you, God? You know, do you see? Do you see what those who claim your name are doing? You know, we can we can say with the Psalms, we can yeah. say we can say with the prophets, um, and, and so um, and so giving yourself room to to ask those questions. And as I I'm, I'm surfacing the Bible, and and I want to name in that in this context. That if the Bible has been used as a weapon against you, that may be the last place that feels safe for now. That's okay. You can you can tr- trust that God is is in the world and 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 um, and if right now you know for a season, if going to the Psalms or going to the prophets is brings up a lot of a lot of ickiness, and there are other ways into this conversation, and it can still. Uh, it can be faithful. It can still welcome God into it, um, and it can again. It's that idea of of being slow and 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 um, and attending to um, listening to the cues of your body. You know, like like you talked about. You know, like you notice. You know, you're kind of 
like getting irritable out of nowhere, like that's your body's talking to you. And it's, and it's not saying, Hey, your family sucks. <laughs> it's saying, no, like, it's like, you need some release. Go yeah, take a walk, right, go, go right. do something, take a walk and or breath work or whatever, do the breath work, <laughs> you know, pause and, and, and tear some paper. Um, and then, you know, do those things. And then on the other side, the invitation is to reflect, you know, what for now do I notice? You know, this, this isn't like a, it doesn't have to be forensic. It doesn't have to be the, the end all be all answer, but what comes up? Where, where, where is this angst coming from? You know, what's, what's the first things to notice? And you make note of that and, and, you know, you lay it down for the moment and return to it as you need to and go deeper in it as you need to. Uh, I put it out for on social media. I usually do, especially when we have authors with a very clear topic, audience questions. And we got a few. One that I thought was really good that I want to hit you with. Um, I was just saying, mm-hmm. I love, uh, like, this is a great conversation. It's gone, it's gone by too quickly. But um, <laughs> before, uh, I, I definitely wanted to get this one in there. Mm-hmm. One listener responded saying to ask you, how do we practice accepting that some grief maybe lifelong. So mm-hmm. uh, griefs and hardships. And I mean, in some ways all are, but particular things that we have to live with actively that are, are not easy to put out of mind. How do we, what, what practices can we deal with and how can we maybe think about that? Yeah. Thank you for that question. Whoever submitted it. It's such an important one. I think many griefs are actually lifelong and particularly like the shock waves from COVID and from these last few years that we've lived through will be a lifelong grief for most of us, including folks who are little kids right now. Like they're going to remember this when they're in their 50s and 60s and 70s, and they're going to be living with the losses uh, of this day. And I don't say that to be a downer. I, I say it because it's true, first of all. And so what do we do with that reality? I think it is knowing that lament is faithful, that it takes courage, that it takes energy And all of those things are worth doing because they honor our own lives and the lives around us that that are the, the love in our lives, because grief is really about love that's lost or that's been sidelined in some way. And so lament is about love and grief that's lifelong can be can be about honoring that love that said, you know, so so it's that regular practice of stepping into lament as it comes up, as it bubbles up. And the other side of that coin is we can't live in lament all the, t- all the time. And um, that is not, it's not That'd sustainable. Be unhealthy. It's not, it's not, it's not healthy. It would be destructive to do that. Well, and, and just so, as unhealthy as not dealing with it at all is just like living in, under a constant cloud of that. Exactly so. And so there have to be rhythms of engaging lament, of stepping back and taking a a breath of fresh air and putting your feet in the grass and finding things that that make you laugh that that delight you you know a good a good movie to watch that's going to make you think um, things that will take you into the present into the here and now and into what is good and beautiful and true in the here and now that finding those things is vital that's a vital spiritual practice just as much as lament is and the other is pacing it's 
figuring out what the rhythm between those kind of two perspectives needs to be. And I think the last thing I would say about what do you do with lifelong grief, it's permission to say some grief is going to be lifelong. That that in this side of heaven, that's part of it. And so even just breathing a sigh of relief in a way that this is true. You know, this grief will be lifelong and it doesn't have to it doesn't have to consume every minute of the rest of my life, but it's going to be there. And and what does it mean to let it be woven into the into the fabric of life without becoming the whole of the cloth? Oh, that's good. As you were saying that, one other thing popped up for me. What would be your encouragement for men who I feel like men and women are kind of malformed, but once you get to your, <laughs> like me, I'm in my mid thirties now, I do have a couple of lifelong friends, but none of them are where I'm at geographically anymore. Like those of us, men and women who maybe yeah. don't have a strong group of community that has had a lot of continuity, mm-hmm. but a lot of people moved or just like the 2020 shakeup COVID with houses, with yeah. churches, with jobs, a lot of people had to start over new and don't necessarily have deep communities with a long-standing history. What's your encouragement for those of us like adults trying to to build new relationships and and find a community to to grieve and lament and and have joy and to grow yeah. together? Yeah, to, to 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 lament and to celebrate, you know, and to, to simply live life together. I, I, I love that you asked that question. And um, I think culturally, particularly in the, uh, in the West, but, but, but more broadly, you know, uh, uh, women are seen as more emotionally intelligent and more able to engage the hard emotions. Doesn't mean men can't, uh, doesn't mean man, men don't, um, and it doesn't mean men don't, don't need to. And I think, I think what I, I think my best encouragement is, uh, keep asking that question and ask it, um, you know, ask it in places like this where it's sort of broadcast into the into the cosmos, so to speak. But ask it with with people that you know. Like, I, I want to go deeper, not you know, not just with the kind of interesting things, but c- can we talk about what's hard and what's good? Like, can we do that? Um, and 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 be on the on the lookout. Use your discernment to find. Um, uh, to find people who who are able to go there with you, and and begin to cultivate it. It can happen in um, in communities. It can happen in a book club. Uh, but but starting to to cultivate these kind of spaces, um, I think uh, I think is going to be a lifeline. It's worth the awkward uh, intro into some of those to to find ways to get there. We need to get there with with each other. No, that's good. Uh, no, I appreciate that. Thank you, Tara. So one thing before we let you go, we like to do a segment called Substance Shoutout. So what have you been reading, watching, listening to, enjoying, whether it's books, movies, albums, podcasts, articles, playlists? Like what are you yeah. – what has been – enriching your life lately and you can come up with a number of things that you'd like to uh share and commend to the audience okay i love it um i am always reading like 50 books at a time not really 50 i'm loving all the things let's see what have i been reading that's given me life um the comfort of crows by margaret renkel 
Um, it is uh, a book uh, about finding wonder around us. And what I love about it, you talked about how you're loving my book and others from IVP that are you know super digestible. This is a book uh, that has one chapter for every week of the year. And it's just about, hey, can you pause and just consider like what's happening in your backyard or in the park in your neighborhood and just open yourself to the wisdom of the creative world. So I'm loving that. Um, I just finished, uh, I just finished. um, I, I never, (laughs) I can count on one hand the times that I've done this. uh, What's it called? Um, Lessons in chemistry. Uh, So so I watched the, the short uh, series. uh, I think, think that was on Netflix, but I might have it wrong. It's, I, yeah, it's it runs, I think that's either Apple or Netflix. Yes. Is that the Brie Larson one? It, that's right. That's right. So I watched, okay. I watched the, the, the short series, loved it. And, and what I, you know, there's lots to love about it. Um, it's uh, kind of aspirational <laughs> rewriting history, feminism kind of stuff. It's uh, some really why, uh, wise uh, practices around grief and lost. It's uh, finding community where you are. Anyway, so I watched the show and I read the book um, and loved it. Uh, Just found it's, it's funny. It's, uh, it's engaging. It has some depth. Um, it's I love a good mini series. There's plenty of shows that I watch that, but it's nice to be like, okay, this is just six or eight hours and then that's it. And then it's done. It's done. What else? Uh, I was recently introduced to the artist Sampha and I'm really loving his, his music. So I'm listening to a couple of his, his albums. Sounds like a Vincent for longtime listeners. One of my previous co-hosts, he was every single episode. His shout outs were some obscure musician. that None of us (laughs) had heard of. Yeah. Full disclosure. I learned about Sampa from some Atlantic uh, kind of listicle sort of article. And I was like, album title that you said you've been listening to. So process and Lahai. Well worth it. Excellent. Do you have movies for me? One or two of your best of. So I'm always cautious because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big movie guy. Not just, Oh, I go once or twice. I go a lot and I watch a lot. I watched like 300 some movies last year um, on my letterbox log. Mm-hmm. What kind of stuff do you like? Like what are some movies that you like or what genres or themes? Like what? Yeah. Help, help me understand your tastes. Okay. I love a good period drama. I love a good melodrama superheroes. Okay. You know, yeah, I, I can do those. Sci-fi love sci-fi. I would say I have a fairly broad taste i don't i don't do a lot of horror anymore i have enough of that <laughs> in, in real time and dreams so i don't do a lot of, of horror we'll say well, I, just, so you, I just watched the doctor who christmas special the four series sure yeah that was fantastic highly recommend so not hard horror you mentioned earlier you you listened to some of our episodes and you were enjoying the cat people ones i highly recommend and those are like horror from the 40s so there's yeah they're deep themes and they're not graphic yes. or anything like that. I recommend those. But so I'm you in. said period melodrama and sci-fi. <laughs> I'm a big fan of this series. Like I'm, I'm into a lot of different fandoms. So this is one I was already primed for, but I was taken aback and surprised at how substantive it was and how good it was. Like mm-hmm. for me, I was probably going to like it no matter what, but I was stunned at how wonderful Godzilla minus one was. 
Okay. I don't want to. So like you find this out right away. So it's not too much of a spoiler, but I didn't know this going into it. The movie Godzilla minus one follows. It's set during world war two. Okay. Just like the original one was in 1954 or actually no, like this was set like in the war. So mm-hmm. the, the protagonist of the movie is a, a guy who signed up for the army and was assigned to be a kamikaze and he deserted because he didn't want to kill himself. And it's following him wow. through like his journey, yeah, yeah. dealing with his own survivor's guilt and like betraying like his duty as a kamikaze and trying to survive the Godzilla destruction. Like I was shocked at how I was like, wow, like what a take. This is like the 38th movie in the series. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I was shocked at how like deeply human it was as well as having awesome like monster destruction and it was very melodramatic because it's it's a war it's a war movie with a monster in it but i think that was great and maybe it's it's getting a lot of it's gaining a lot of momentum and buzz Mm -hmm. but the holdovers it's have you heard of that one it's a christmas movie it's about these kids at a school a boarding school who don't have anywhere to go to over the holidays. So they stay at the school oh, and yeah. it's them kind of dealing with their own griefs and yeah, traumas yeah. over a holiday when they're kind of alone and kind of forming like a new found family oh, over that. the holidays. Okay. Thanks for both of those. I'm in. Nice. I, I love when somebody genuinely asks for a movie rec, but like, you don't want to, you don't want to recommend something too crazy to somebody depending on <laughs> what it is they're into. But yeah, I was shocked. Godzilla was, I'm a big Godzilla fan, but I was yeah. like, man, that was, but it's like, it was a stunning film. Yeah. Like, did, like they really, they went somewhere with it. And yeah. Like the full human range. I love that. Awesome set pieces. And there's only one thing about the whole movie I didn't like, but it didn't, it didn't really ruin it for me. And I'm, okay. I'm happy to recommend it to anybody who doesn't mind sitting through a, uh, a monster movie. Oh, I do not. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank Excellent. you. Well, I will definitely put a link for the book in the show notes and for Hoopla. I'm still trying to get Hoopla to sponsor the show. But um, other than the book itself, where where can folks find you? What would you like to point, point folks towards um, as far as your work goes? Yeah, the best place to find me is TaraMcDaniel.com. Uh, Tara is spelled T-E-R-R-A. And that's where they can sign up for my newsletter. They can find out what I'm doing. They can read my read my blog. There's some free downloads there. So that's that's the best place to to catch me. Uh, second best is Instagram. I'm on there pretty pretty regularly. Well, Tara, thank you for your time. It was a joy having you. This is something like I said that we've been circling and talking about um, here and there. But I'm I'm glad that we're able to kind of have like an in depth discussion just on this. This is. It's important and I feel like a lot of people growing up, I was not talked about this enough. So excited to have some good resources to, to hand to people uh, on the topic. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. So there you have it. That was my conversation with Tara. Man, it went by in a flash. I, I really enjoyed talking with her yeah i looked at her website i i may look into actually uh using some of her services myself it's pretty affordable it seems pretty low-key um i know the stuff in the book is already great but yeah she uh i i I think the material she's working with has a lot of value 
And uh, I'm just grateful for having such an accessible, practical resource out there to uh, to recommend to folks. So um, go pick it up. I'm going to have a link in the show notes, maybe even... It's been a little while since I had a conversation with my IVP folks, but they're always great. See if we can get you guys a discount code, and I'm sure uh, follow the social media. We'll probably have some giveaways as well. But this is a great one. If you uh, get this at your library, the audiobook is on Hoopla. Check this out. This was this was really, I think, important. And if actually we we take these practices and we use them, I think we'll, we will see a lot of good gradually. Um, shifting in our community. So I, I hope that we all uh, take this to heart. So um, thank you, Tara, for your time. Thank you, IVP. This was a great one. Uh, listeners, uh, reach out to us. Let us know what you think. What stood out to you? Um, if you have anything particular, Tara was very open. We may kind of have a follow-up. If you guys have any particular questions, again, um, really appreciated the one that we had. I thought her answer to that was fantastic so let us know what you thought about the episode uh you can reach us at the substance pod at gmail.com send us an email or you can record a voice note and email it to us um if it's maybe under 90 seconds and some good stuff might be able to uh put that on the show but that's how to reach out to us um and also if you want to just reach out and uh, like summer did we shouted her out at the beginning if you have a, a topic or an author or a film or an artist, or what have you, that you think is a substantive thing that you'd like us to check out uh, to potentially invite somebody on the show to share with others, we are always open to that. So you can do that. Either DM us on Instagram or thesubstancepod at gmail.com. That's where you can contact us. We are looking to grow our patron community in 2024. So if the substance is something that's of value to you, you would like to see us continue and grow. And I don't know if we're quite ready to go back to a weekly schedule, but we would love to make more types of things. Uh, Our YouTube, Dave's been talking to me about doing more videos. So we have a couple ideas of that. If you want to be a part of the growth at the substance, you can do that on Patreon at patreon.com slash the substance pod. Or if every now and then you want to just give us a tip, you don't really want to do the monthly support. Um, you can do that on cash app dollar sign, the substance pod um, supporters of the show on Patreon will get early access to editor Dave's um, audio interviews with people um, for us. We occasionally will record bonus content that's exclusive or you can also vote to influence future topics. So you can do that there. We love everybody that has ever given. And I'll also put this out. If you guys know anybody who might have something that fits with our audience, we are looking to expand um, advertisers or sponsors. We don't want to just have anybody. I know Trevor and I, Trevor would always joke with me that I was always trying to grow the show and he didn't want to do wacky commercials. I know we had uh, that uh, life insurance guy for a while, but whoever, um, if you know anybody with a business or a, a product or a service that uh, goes with the values of the substance, we would love to connect with us. So I will say, I don't know if anybody's still listening at this point, I just had a very exciting discussion. I don't want to say anything yet until it's happened and it's in the bag, but uh, we are circling our first, actually our first total. Uh, uh, yeah, I think so. And I don't think either the, uh, um, they just uh, worked for the film festival. I don't think they were filmmakers, but anyway, we are circling a conversation 
with like a legitimate director. I don't think we've had a director on the show previously in any of our substantive cinema episodes, but not just like some independent short filmmaking person, but like a, a real filmmaker that um, actually many people will probably recognize as an actor, but uh, yeah, don't want to say too much until that's in the can, but that's very exciting. Got a lot of exciting books coming out in 2024. Um, I've already lined up several substantive cinema episodes We you may see a, an influx of those. If we just have a ton of them in the bank, we may release some of those, um, as kind of bonuses to the biweekly. You may on the off week, we may, uh, drip some of those out extras just because we've got a lot of interest in that, but yeah, I got a lot of exciting stuff and a lot of interesting. We talked to, to Caitlin Chess about maybe potentially coming back and doing some minis just with, 2024 being an election year it's going to be interesting so excited for all the things ahead for the year sorry if this outro is taking too long but we appreciate everybody um listens shares the show all that stuff um we're doing it for you guys and we appreciate you so i've been your host philip marinello and we will see you next time on the substance I have a pretty good relationship with IVP. They're very proactive in getting their work in front of like the right audiences. Like a lot of our audience I think is ripe for the sort of stuff they're doing, but you specifically came on my radar because one of our listeners mentioned it and I didn't realize until today because I was just (laughs) rushing, trying to prepare with my job and kids and all that. Um, I was doing a little bit of research on you and I reached out to her and I said, Hey, like you, I see you guys connected on several things. Do you guys know each other personally? And Summer Rottinger, um, like she met, she DM'd me and said, Hey, you should look at this book. Cause we've mentioned on the show before that lament is something that we'd like to do, um, a topic on at some point. And she said, Hey, check out this book. So wow, amazing. She's a, she's a long-term term friend, uh, known her for, Gosh, well over a decade. So, so you or her husband married them? Yeah, my, yeah, my partner w- uh, officiated their their wedding. That's right. Gosh, I had forgotten that. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of water under the bridge. Years, years, years uh, together. That's right. Cool. Well, I just want—I'll probably shout her out in the intro because mm-hmm. I love it when the the listeners of the show drive the content. Yeah, I love because we're making it for them. That's right. And, and summer is, I mean, she's a lot of things. She's such a, she's, thoughtful, wonderful. she's such a thoughtful person. I really appreciate her in so many ways. So please she's do. one of the people who I've recruited to be an occasional unpaid staff. As soon as we get more, I would love to bring on, but like yeah. the heavily engaged listeners who are thoughtful, yes. like I've, I've used her to do a couple of things before and she's, she's great. Yeah. She's a smart cookie. Listener, uh, summer Rottinger, Rottinger. I don't know if I've, Hmm. Either one, Dave. Maybe we'll uh, I'll reach out to Summer and ask her for the pronunciation. Then we'll cut the wrong one, or we'll just leave this all in. <laughs>